Everyone, good to see you. This is my first time up here, so take it easy. No filming. Um, I didn't prepare anything because I wanted it to come from the heart. Um, the last two weeks have been life-changing for me and I'm sure for everyone on the team. So I want to thank everyone who came, everyone who prayed for us, our fearless leaders over here, Gary and we're Louis there. Yeah, um, They organised a lot and they did a lot and they made it all happen. Um, and yeah, so thank you for that. Um, I just want to share something that happened to me while I was over there. Um, I went and I thought, I'm a carpenter, so I build houses for a living over here. Um, but to me, it's always been a house. It's never been, um, there's never been a connection with the actual people. So when I was over there, there was one particular family uh, that I got to work alongside the, the son named Moses. It's funny. Um, he, and I was working with him and he was so quiet. He barely understood English, but he was there when I needed him, when I wanted him. He was there, like... And then when we finished the house, so there was a grandmother and a grandfather and a grandson named Moses. We finished the house and we went over to pray for him. And um, as we were praying, there was just something just released in me that um, we got to sow into this family. We got to... We got to produce fruit that lasts. And I went back, we went back home, or we came back to the school and that night I prayed and God said, go back, I want to do more. So I spoke to Gary and we organised not only the house, but we put a coral floor down for them. Um, and it was hot and we were sweating. <laughs> um, but we also, we also were able to give her about a month's worth of food, um, which is not a lot for them over there. They'll go through it pretty quickly. Um, but as, as we were leaving, we all said goodbye and we got a photo with them. And something that changed me was I thought I was going over there to, you know, just be a good Christian and, and help them and all that sort of stuff and, and serve them. But the, the old grandmother who actually had a stroke and she can barely walk, in, she had nothing to give us. We got one, one pawpaw for all that. And what she said was let God's name be glorified. And I thought that was the whole reason we were going there. That's why we do anything we do, everything we do is to let God's name be glorified. And it completely changed me and I'm sure it'll change everyone. And I want everyone to have that. So if you've got an opportunity, even here at home, to just give, like there's a verse that says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So I'm just letting you know that's what happened to me and it'll happen to you. So <laughs> let God be glorified. You. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as Jesse said, the 12 days we were over there was one of the most amazing experiences of my life so far. It was almost indescribable. Um, um, towards the end, I got asked what was my favourite thing that I'd done while I was over there or favourite thing about being over there. Um, and that was a really hard question to answer because there's so many things. Um, but... Um, one of the main things was, as Jesse was talking about, the connections, not only within our team. Um, so, like, coming to church, like, you obviously see people, but you don't necessarily connect with everybody. So, being able to connect with our team and everyone who was on there was amazing. Um, but also being able to connect with 
um, all the locals over there. Um, and when we were building the houses, we had some um, locals who were um, from the school and then we also had the family members that were helping. Um, and just to like hear a bit about their story and a bit about their faith was just amazing. Um, during our time over there, we got invited to a women's Bible study. Um, which ended up turning out to be a more of a worship and prayer night. Um, so that was amazing. And while we were there, um, we got invited to be a part of a prayer circle um, and we all held hands um, and then they began to pray. Um, we couldn't really understand what they were saying because they were speaking in the local language, but um, every, or about fifth word or so was thank you. Um, and just the way they were praying, um, it was more like a worshipping of God than a prayer. Um, and just the Holy Spirit that was there, it was just... Oh, it was indescribable. You could just feel it. It, like, smacked you in the face. It was amazing. It was, yeah, so beautiful to be a part of. Um, so, um, um, during each morning we did communion and um, a little bit of a devotion. Um, so, my morning... Um, the verse that came to me was Romans 4, verse 5. Um, it said, But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Um, so just while being over there to experience um, the strength of their faith only in a small part was just the most incredible gift and just so inspiring. So, yeah. Fantastic, guys. So um, next year, going again, aren't you guys? We might even go twice to Vanuatu next year. We'll see. Every month? Yeah, who who would be in on that going every month? Yep. I see that hand. Yep, okay. So keep your ear out when we, um, when we mention that we're sending more teams. It'd be great for you to be a part of that at some stage. And um, it'd be fantastic to keep sewing into that work over there. Well, I'm going to introduce our guest preacher for the night, Steve Bruce, or Brucey, because we have nicknames, and uh, it's Lottie, not Michael, and this is Brucey, not Stephen. Is it Steve or Stephen? Brucey. Okay. I've known Steve Bruce for a number of years now. Um, he was over on the team in the UK um, with Kirk and Tracy McAtee at a place in Birmingham, Connect Church. He served over there. He served previously at Globe Church and is currently serving there at Globe. Are you teaching at the moment? He's a school teacher. Has three kids, daughter and two sons, which is a great way to do it, daughter and two sons. Um, how was the youngest? Five weeks. So he's got a newborn at home. He's got a night out so we can party tonight and uh, it's great to have him here. He's a great um, young man of God who loves God, loves church and I know he's got something to share with us tonight. So I want to give him a great real life church welcome as he comes up to share the word tonight. Thanks, Brucey. Molo. Injani. And then that's how are you and you would say Sapile. You can be a bit louder. Sapile. Thank you, Lottie. Hello, real life. Thank you for having me. Um, I was born in South Africa. 
have we got any South Africans? Come on. I probably just butchered that and you're going to know. Oh, dear. That's just, this is backfiring already. All right. Forget the lies I tell. No. <laughs> um, I was born in a place called Matatiel near the Drakensberg Mountains. And uh, it, is, it means the ducks have flown away. We moved away because we couldn't discover why. Like, we're like, where, where have the ducks gone? We still don't know to this day. Um, cool thing about South Africa is its great diversity. There's like over 11 national languages. One of the languages near us is called the Tosa people. Can everyone have a go at that? <laughs> Come on, have a go. Pip, is it? Come on, Pip. No. Corsa. <laughs> and um, they are, if you, uh, this is the literal, not the real, this is the pretend version, because I don't know the language. But if I ask someone that from the Corsa tribe, how are you? Their response could be, and they would say, great, I'm coming to a real life church, and it is awesome. That could be their response. Um, South Africa has its challenges with, um, obviously, great rugby. That's not a challenge. Um, it's got its challenges with violence and crime, and, and lately they've been standing up and really bonding together. So that's cool to, to take on some, uh, some of the injustices and pr- oppression that's happened in, for so long there. Um, as Lottie said, we have been in the beautiful um, nation motherland, England, and um, in a total different melting pot um, of nationalities in Birmingham, Brum. And um, that was incredible. We had in our church, in Kirk's church, um, which I was on staff with, we had like 19 different uh, different nationalities. And you'd be out to lunch in England and you'd look around the table and you're like, we got one English person. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all over the place. They're from India, Ecuador to uh, Caribbean, all these different places. And it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, when Lottie came around um, and, and Lauren and the kids, we put him on the spot. We had a young adults um, event. And we said, Lottie, we're doing this like open mic night. It's kind of hipster and cool. And um, we're going to do it in a cafe. We'd love you to share. What we didn't tell him is we'd only booked half the, the cafe, and so there was like 30 of our guys, and then the rest of the people were just having dinner, <laughs> and Lottie had to share with a microphone across everyone, so um, that was pretty bold, mate. You did well. And I checked in with the... Actually, the, the restaurant came back to us and said, you can come any day. That, that was the best Saturday night we've had. Um, so that was pretty cool, getting, it, getting in the community um, and making a difference. When I was 10 years old, we moved to Australia. Um, my parents had some family over here and they decided we'd um, start the process of elim- um, immigration here. And um, so we moved to Lake Macquarie, beautiful Lake Macquarie. I rocked up in year five with my shiny shoes. I was way overdressed for primary school. And I figured that out pretty soon. I had this weird accent. I had this, like, middle part. It was like the 90s, and middle parts were, were in, and my hair was clean and, like, f- flicking to the side. And, um, and I thought, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to struggle here, but I, f- I started fitting in, and I, it was great. We uh, lived at Elibana, Warners Bay sort of area, and um, I had lived 
inland for so long, all of a sudden I'm near the water and we enjoyed surfing and fishing and skateboarding and, and I started loving it. One particular day, um, me and two mates were fishing down on this jetty and we're bobbing our little prawn heads in, getting a few bites and these older boys come up to us, these teenagers, and um, they said, Oi boys, this is, this is our spot. And not me, but my two friends kind of bit back at them and a few words were exchanged. All of a sudden, this little tinny's just motored off, pulled into the boat ramp 200 metres away, and these guys were coming at us fast. It was all right for my loudmouth friends who had bicycles, but poor old Brucey was on foot. And um, I, I know, I did what you would do, and I started to run, started sprinting, away from these guys, but they were big boys and they were catching me. I looked up and there was just a pile of sort of dust and uh, bicycle tracks and uh, my mates were gone, nowhere to be seen. And, um, but I was a good athlete uh, for an 11-year-old and um, I'd made it to the road. I looked across the, the road and I saw just a little bit of uh, a field and then the safety of my friend's house and his mummy. And... Um, just as I ran across the road, the momentum of my extreme speed took me a little while to realize. But I, as I was running, my, hat, my favorite blue hat had fallen down and I'd only noticed when I'd crossed the road. Well, I had a decision. Do I go back, risk getting caught? Do I stay and run away? But it was my favorite hat. I looked up. There was a clearing in the road. And so I ran back. As I picked up my favorite hat, put it back on, looked up, the quietest street had transformed into like the M, M1. What do we call it now? M1, F3. It was like traffic both sides. Have you ever been in the rush and all of a sudden the little street that you live in turns into to the busiest street and you're like, uh, uh, okay, could go now. No, that's a bus. Uh, yep, yep, going to go. Mate, you're speeding. You are. And all of a sudden it cleared and I was ready to go. But I felt this pull on the back of my shirt. I'd been caught. I'd hoped to get away, but I'd been caught. And that mean old bully, a teenager, pulled me around and said, mate, you forgot some of your fishing gear. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he grabbed me, and that mean old bully threatened, if he never saw me again, he would beat me up. And I ran away with fear in my heart and this strange water coming out of my eyes that I hadn't experienced for a while. <laughs> I ran away in fear. I'd hoped to be, get caught, uh, not get caught. I'd hoped for freedom, but I got caught. I remember thinking that day, and my parents brought me from South Africa because this country is safer. You're kidding me. I want to speak about hope today, tonight, and I'm so privileged to come and speak with you, Lottie. Uh, Lottie was brave enough to ordain me as a minister and uh, helped me out in our journey going to England and back and stuff. So um, thanks, mate. We don't hope for bad things, right? We don't jump up in the morning and go, look, uh, hope I'd have a few more insecurities this week. That'll be great. We don't hope for fear. We don't hope for financial 
uh, troubles. We don't hope for poor relationships. We don't hope for family breakdowns. We hope for good things. We hope for great careers. We hope for our kids to have a great education. We hope for good friendships. We hope for uh, financial blessing, and we tithe, and we receive it. Uh, There you go, mate. And... um, But sometimes uh, the things that we hope for don't happen or the things that we are believing for don't happen and um, we wonder why. I'd hoped for freedom in that moment, but I got caught. Have you ever hoped for something that didn't, didn't happen and you wondered why you actually were hoping for freedom but you got caught with fear or insecurity or doubt. What I've realized is the only hope that we can have is a satisfying hope. We need a hope that lasts. Our hope has to be more than our possessions, more than our success, more than our um, short term. It has to be an eternal and everlasting hope. It has to be something bigger than that. When I was sort of 18 or 19, my friends and I, we got into uh, Aussie rap and we started creating these little raps and going to parties. I don't know what parties we were going to where they were like, hey, do you want to rap? Yeah, we do. We pre- prepared something earlier. But anyway, those were the parties that we went to. And this was one of them. You going to help me out with it? You sure? Everybody. We're going to all agree with this, guys. <laughs> All right, it goes like this. Well, we're born into sin, but we're saved by grace. Jesus came along and he took my place. The price he paid could never be erased. Now I'm living for him. I see him face to This side was definitely better. Thank you. We'll do a duet. We'll do a feature. <laughs> that is our hope, that although we were born into sin... We're now saved by grace because of what Jesus did. He took our place. He died on the cross. He rose again. He, he triumphed over death and, and conquered sin. And now he is sitting with God and interceding for us. That is our hope that we have uh, a relationship with God through Jesus. The Bible's uh, definition of hope is confident expectation. Confident expectation. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, It is in this hope of Jesus that we are saved. It's in this hope that we're saved. So we need to have a hope in Jesus of who he is and who he said he was. And then it goes on to say, Now, hope that is not, se- hope is not seen. Um, for who hopes for what he sees? We don't hope for things we already have. If you've got a fridge, a fridge full of food, you don't go, oh, I hope for some food, and you open up the... <laughs> it's there. It's amazing. We don't hope for things that we already have. You, you, you don't hope for things that are already in your hand, that are already in your sight. Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So hope is unseen. We can't hope for something we, we have, so, but faith is built upon hope. It's getting confusing. Is it confusing for you? 
How do we, how do we get faith from our hope? And I love this quote. It's by a um, theologian, Rittenberg. And it says, To start, in its very simplicity, faith is merely believing. So we've got faith, we believe. That's in its simplicity. As it grows in our understanding, we begin to work out our faith and it becomes a, f- a confidence. If you start to work out your faith, you get a confidence. Then finally, in its full measure, faith is a trust. Faith becomes trust and it works alive in our relationship with God. So it starts off simply as a belief. It moves into confidence as we know it works. It's kind of like training wheels and we're like, this is going to work. Faith in God works. I'm confident of the things that I'm believing for. I'm confident in my God. And then as we fully exercise it, it's an utter dependence and trust. When I was uh, in my teenage years, my dad, um, unfortunately... Thought he was a sailor. Have we got any sailors? Any, anyone say? I don't know anything about sailing. Neither does my dad. But that didn't stop him deciding with my Uncle John. They bought this terrible little old yacht. And they decided to try their very first time sailing on a little body, little body of water called the Sydney Harbour. You've probably heard of it. And anyway, we got on this boat. And um, from the start, it was destined to fail. They were like but it's not responding. We can't turn it. And there were like some rocks over here and some million dollar boats over here. And they said, why don't we just run it with the motor? So we're putting around and it was a beautiful day. We go out to um, under the bridge and it's all happy days. And then like men, we don't like it. We don't like being conquered. We don't like something not working. We've got to fix it. We've got to have another go. That's why we try and we try and we try. Good old perseverance, guys. They thought, let's get the sails up and, uh, and, and have another go. Anyway, halfway through it, when we had like been pushing off jetties and, and people had been like waving at us, going, stop, I decided I just can't take it. And I went down under, under the deck, under, underground, uh, under sea. And I just kind of sat. I didn't sleep, but it was more of like a fetal position, just kind of shaking um, in fear and, and, and worry. And um, I don't know how we, we made it, but the, the story was when they pulled this old boat out of the ground, there was like a ton of mussels on the rudder. I think that's important not to have that. Um, so if you, if you steer it, it would pretty much just go, yeah, no, I'm just going to keep going straight because of all this stuff that it kind of got entangled on the the rudder there's a story in the bible that's a little bit similar like that it's in mark 4 um, and you and you probably know it it's where um, jesus he's talking to all these people and he's he's teaching and he's healing and he's sharing and and we got to remember jesus had some serious crowds i think in the bible and some of the matthew movies and recreations we we kind of sit him on a rock at the top of a olive tree farm or something and we kind of go all right there's about 50 people but the bible actually shares that like people were getting crushed almost to the point of death like there were some serious crowds he would escape and go this way and the crowd would follow him and and he would run away and slip out of the crowd and people would be grabbing on him and he was tired i would be tired after all that i just have three kids grabbing on to me um but he goes 
on this boat, the disciples decide, look, why don't you have a sleep? We'll sail over the Sea of Galilee. We know the job. We're going to this other place where you're going to speak and people are going to bring their, their sick. And he has this sleep. Anyway, after a short time, this sea just explodes in a huge storm. It's huge waves and, 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 and the, the wind and the waves were crazy. And, and we get this picture that it's, it's like the perfect storm. It's going crazy. But we have to remember that his disciples, before they were bouncers, were actually fishermen. They would have fished that water like all the time. They were confident. They were experienced sailors. They would have fished in those seas before, but this one really scared them. This one was terrifying to the point that they go under, um, under the deck and they say to Jesus, who's sound asleep, he's having like, not a baby sleep, a, a, like a teenager sleep. He was going to wake up at like 11.30 in the morning. He was having such a good sleep. And they shake him. And do you know what they say to him? No. You don't? Cool. <laughs> I will tell you. Are you going to let us die? Do you care if we die? And they're shaking him. And I, this isn't in the, in the, in the actual text, but I figure Jesus kind of um, kind of sits up and maybe kind of wipes his eyes a little bit. And, and he's confused at the very statement that they're giving him. Do you think we're going to die? Do you care if we die? And they were like, I, I think they just kept yelling Yelling stuff at him, going, like, the waves are this big, Jesus. I can't believe you slept through that. This is happening. This is a huge storm. There are waves. The boat's about to smash into pieces. And Jesus goes over and fixes himself a little Milo. And he slowly walks up onto the deck and he looks out. He goes, oh, yeah, that's pretty big, isn't it? It's pretty windy. And the Bible says he just looks at the wind and the waves and he speaks to him and he just says, be still, be still. And everything just like beautiful sheet, glass, the whole sea of Galilee just smooths over. And all of a sudden there's people water skiing over here and some scuba divers here and people are enjoying themselves. I said that too, some kids at in my, uh, my school, and they're like, there weren't snorkels back there, were there? I was like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and the disciples turn to each other and go, wow, who is this man? And the Bible says they were terrified. They were scared when the waves were there. They're still scared. What's going on? Surely, even the wind and the waves obey the and they, and they start to talk to each other and whisper and go, what's going on? And Jesus says to them, do you still not have any faith? Do you still not have any faith? I think Jesus would have been like a little bit confused. Here they are on the boat. They were sailors. Maybe it was a bigger storm than they've ever experienced. But just in moments before, Jesus is with them sharing the purpose of his life, sharing his destiny, sharing the reason, sharing their hope, healing people. Just before that, a man with a shriveled up hand is, is prayed for and Jesus touches him and, 
his hand extends perfectly. Just before that, someone with leprosy, a huge skin disease that excludes them from their community and their limbs are eaten away, he heals them perfectly. Just before that, he's sharing about the purpose of the Son of Man. Just before that, not one, but two people are raised to life. Their hope was pretty strong. It was pretty deep. There was a deep foundation But all of a sudden, in this storm, they lost their hope. They were in their boat, and the storm was coming at them. I think Jesus would have gone, guys, don't don't you know what's going on? I'm right here. Don't you realize that if, if... if you die, I'm dying as well. And the purpose that I came to, to, um, to have on this earth, they had forgotten so quickly that Jesus, their hope was on the boat. I think Jesus would have just kind of said to them, after all you've seen, the storm has come and it's washed away your hope in me. Your boat, do you have more faith in the storm? Do you have more trust in the storm or your boat than me? The thing the disciples had forgotten, the very truth that Jesus was more real than that storm. The truth that Jesus was more real than the storm. Isn't the author more important than the book? Doesn't the inventor have more knowledge than the invention? Doesn't the creator oversee the creation? Jesus, the hope of the world, their hope, their salvation, Romans 8, they were saved in that hope. But all of a sudden, the storm seemed to have greater power than their very hope. I kind of wonder this story. Uh, it made three of the four Gospels. So it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I think it's a cool, cool miracle, right? But there were so many cool miracles um, and transformations of people's lives. There's people um, being healed, dead, ri- being um, put to ri- um, rise. And, and, and this story is included three times out of our four Gospels. And I kind of wonder Why? But when I began to study a little bit and see a greater picture that maybe God was trying to show us something, the truth that the hope and the storm will always coexist. It's a great picture of even though Jesus was physically with them, so was the storm. That even though they had the hope of the world and they had the foundation of faith, the storm was still there. Why didn't Jesus just say, look, I'm going on this boat and there's going to be no, no storms today? He didn't do that. He said, I am in the boat. Don't be afraid. Where's your faith? I think we have to realize, and John 16 says it well. It's Jesus speaking. I've told you these things so that... In me, you will have peace. They lost their peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Encouraging statement from Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. But take heart. I have overcome the world. It's a picture 
of hope and the trial, hope and the trouble, hope and the sickness, hope and the brokenness right there coexisting in our boat. Our boat is us. The boat symbolizes our ability, our talent, our workmanship, our work ethic, our, our life. And the storm and the hope are always going to exist. And it's not a question about fear. It's not. The disciples were terrified, it says. They were, they were scared. They were fearful. But it's not actually choosing Jesus or fear. That's not what this story is about. It's actually simply about trust. Fear is the byproduct of what we trust in. If we choose to trust in Jesus, we get hope and faith, a confident expectation that is alive in all of our life, a confident trust in Him. If we choose to trust the storm, that's when fear enters. That's when doubt enters. That's when insecurity and worry enter. What do we trust more? Jesus or the storm in our life? Or do we trust the boat? I know at times I, I think, man, I can get myself out of this. And I just dig myself deeper into the, into the hole. I know sometimes when I'm anxious or worried, I know I've, I've trusted the storm. Man, this sickness has got me down. It's got me worrying. It's got me, got me anxious. I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm full of doubt. I'm full of fear. I've trusted that storm when I could be here in the peace that Jesus offers with my hope that is my salvation. I could be there. It's all about trust, church. Our hope, our boat, and many storms. Our hope is Jesus. Our truth is that he's more real than the storms that we face. And he's in us. The disciples had Jesus in their boat. Amidst the greatest storms, we can be confident in him. We can trust. When I uh, was 17, I reckon I kind of knew you then, um, Macquarie Youth Pastor days. I was, I was the kid um, who in about year nine... Anyone in year nine here? Anyone? No? Year nine was great. Best three years of my life. When I got out of there, I, um, I'd come from this place where I was confident in God and I had this hope and, and I walked into a conference when I was about 13 and i come out and God had totally healed my sight. I'd had glasses and, and, and I didn't want glasses. Mum bought me the wrong frames. And I, I'd... I'd been healed totally and I'd, I'd, there was a kind of a move. My parents took us out of this church where I had some friends and, and it was just a bad time from sort of year nine to year 11 of um, knowing my hope and having that foundation but the lies started to come and eat away at that and the storms and, and, and maybe a little bit of my own abilities and boat kind of issue came up and I started to think, man, I can't be... Um, I can't be liked, I can't have fun, I can't live for Jesus um, because it's just, he's just a fun robber. He's the fun police. It's just taken me away. And I, I started following these guys at school and, and was just, 
I, was, I knew I was called to be a leader, but I was just a follower. I was just a little pleb, and I wanted to do things that they thought were cool, and I wanted to be caught in the moment. Hey, guys, look what I'm doing. Yeah, mom, please don't see. Um, I'd lost all of my own conviction. I'd lost my foundation because I'd started to believe in this. The storm doesn't have to be a, a bad thing. Sometimes it can be good things like heaps of money or popularity or fame. We see how so many storms can take down people and that they're not necessarily this, this ugly sickness or, or um, issue. They can be things that are just trying to take your trust away and give you fear instead. And I remember I was about 17 and I, there was this group in the year below me that were known as the Jesus Crew. And I started uh, kind of going in this musical and I got stuck with the Jesus Crew. And they, we had to sing and do rehearsals with them. And they were like so bubbly and they were like, hey, Steve, how are you going? And they're like, we know you're kind of a Christian. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like scared of them and what they would uh, wreck my reputation. And um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get past how friendly and loving and kind they were. And they, they were confident. They were leaders and they were doing things in the school. They were putting on this exo day thing and they were like, yeah, life is excellent with Jesus. And I'm like, whoa, you guys just need to calm down a little bit. And they're like, come to youth group. I'm like, there's going to be like five people there. I'm sure it's going to be awful. And I just had totally shut off just going, there's, there's no way that I can be a Christian and still have this wonderful life and, 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 and see fun and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I remember this exo day that we had at our school and I was with my mates just being a little follower and they were giving us sausages and we went back for like five sausage sandwiches. They, the Christians in the school just put on some bands and some nice things and sausage sizzle and stuff. And after that, so ungrateful, we sat behind them and we started to laugh at them and just say, sniggle little things in the back of their head and throw bread at them. <laughs> what, what sort of person does that? It was so mean. Anyway, the transformation, as I realized with these friends that I was making in my little high school musical glee club, the very next year, I was a changed person. I had this confidence, I had this leadership, I had this strength, I had this trust, I had this fun um, element to my life that I'd never had before. I stood up in front of my, my high school and the very same event, the annual the next year and said to 1400 kids you need Jesus in your life you can't do life without Jesus you need to stand up don't worry about your, what your mates say Jesus will give you full life he comes to give you life in all its abundance in all its fullness my life had totally changed and it's because of the trust had changed I didn't trust my mates anymore I trusted Jesus I didn't trust the circumstances. I trusted Jesus. And today, I'm sure there's a challenge in your life that you need to choose who you're going to trust, whether it's sickness or whether it's relationships, whether it's finance. Remember that our boat is never enough. Our boat is going to break at some point. In this life, you will have trials. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You need Jesus. You need the hope of the world in your boat because you might not be facing a storm today, but it's coming. It's coming. And you need to choose who you're going to trust.
Don't let your trust in the storm add all this fear, add condemnation, add guilt, add shame to you. Are we doing a muso thing back or we'll just, yeah, let's do that. Would you mind just closing your eyes? We're just going to have some time with Jesus tonight. Jesus, I thank you that just as you were in this story, the hope in their boat, I thank you that you're in each person's life here. I thank you that the storm is real, but you are realer. It has power, but you have more power, Jesus. I thank you that whatever people that are hearing my voice right now are going through, that they will know to trust you. And with that trust, this very moment, as they decide, God, to trust you, that a peace that passes all understanding will guard their heart and mind that they are in Christ. God, we thank you for the boat that you've given us, our abilities, our talents, our insight, our knowledge. But it's not enough, God. We need you in our life. You are our hope and our salvation. And God, right now, I just pray that you're touching hearts right now, that you're realigning trust to be focused back on you. And God, when our trust is on you, you begin to calm that storm. You say, be still. And the peace on our lives and our hope foundation on you. I wonder if you stand with me for a moment, church. It's such a simple story, and I think we can overlook it, but God's just been hammering it on my heart. And I'm hoping it's connected with some part of you guys in your life tonight. And I'm not going to get you out the front. and um, I'm sure there'll be people within the people you know that can pray for you tonight if there's something specific you want to pray about. But what a life we could live if we 100% trusted Jesus in or out of the storm. If your life is like smooth sailing at the moment, trust Jesus 100%. If your life is rocky and things, you don't know if your boat's going to last and it's, you're getting pushed away all over left and right, trust Jesus 100%. If you notice fear start to rise, look at where your trust is. Are you trusting the statistics of an illness? Are you trusting the, the budget in front of you? Are you trusting uh, statistics about friend, uh, marriages? Or, or are you trusting in God? The storm will lie to you, but His trust is 100% reliable and it will satisfy. I wonder if you could just, while every eye is closed, just acknowledge as I'm raising my hand, God, saying, God, I want to trust you 100%. Great. Just throw your hand up so we can just pray together. I don't want to trust the boat, God. I don't want to trust the storm. I just want to trust you. God, I know there will be storms. I know you've gifted me, but I'm going to trust you. Heaps of hands. It's great. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, my hope is in you. Thank you for what you've given me. But I know it's not enough. 
My trust is in you 100%. That when the storm comes, I won't trust it. I will run from fear and trust in you. Thank you, Jesus.